This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi there, this is Kevin Lindsay, co-host of the Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, it's my pleasure to be in conversation with Magnus Ramage, co-author of Systems Thinkers, second edition. Magnus co-authored Systems Thinkers with Karen Shipp, and it is his um, honor today to represent this amazing uh, piece for, for the two of them, the second edition. Um, the first edition was wrote a little more than a decade ago, and um, it will be really interesting to um, talk about these thinkers, these 30 thinkers, and their impact and influence on the systems and cybernetics space. Magnus is a senior lecturer in information systems at the Open University, where he has worked since 2000, teaching systems thinking and socio-technical IT systems. As well as researching the history of systems thinking, he conducts research on critical approaches to the concept of information and on the organizational and social impact of collaborative technologies. He holds a PhD in information systems from the University of Lancaster, and he lives in Northampton with his wife, Becky, their children, and their cat, Darcy, who is not to be ignored. So we'll be sure to acknowledge Darcy. Welcome, Magnus, to New Books Network. Thank you very much, Kevin. It's a delight to be able to talk to you today. Well, it's my pleasure. So I'd like to start the conversation where we always do with, with, with on this podcast, which is to hear a little bit about your story. What brought you to systems thinking, Magnus? Uh, you start the book by saying it's a, a love letter to these thinkers. So I'd love to know when and how this love affair began. So I started my academic career as a computer scientist. Um, I did an undergraduate degree in computing in Cambridge. Um, and I became really frustrated with the very insular kind of approach that I saw to computer systems, and I wanted to expand my understanding of how computers worked with people, with organizations, with society, and the impact that they had on on those things. So one bit after another, that led me to be interested in the field of human-computer interaction. And in my early, now when was I? 
mid twenties. Um, I ended up taking a master's in that field in um, at the University of Sussex at Brighton on the south coast of England, and came upon a whole. I, I did an enormous amount of reading that year, just extraordinary amounts of reading, um, and it was wonderful. And I kept my mind kept expanding with new things, and. At various points in that year, I came upon this this set of ideas around systems thinking. Um, and I think probably, particularly first with the work of Peter Checkland um, and his self-systems methodology, but, but, but progressively other people as well that, um, that had a systems kind of lens to them. And, and so it was this idea of expanding expanding consciousness sounds too kind of uh, yeah it's not quite what i mean um, expanding our understanding of the world expanding mm-hmm. um how we view things um trying to is west churchman talks about sweeping in is that kind of idea of going mm. wider and wider in, in how we analyze any kind of situation um and when I went to do my PhD, um, which was the following year at the University of Lancaster, um, I got captivated partly by, directly by the work of Checkland, but also, um, I think you mentioned the thing I quote about um, writing a collective love letter to these people. And, and I think it was probably Gregory Bateson's work that I would say that I first kind of actively fell in love with. Um, and I read Fritjof Capra's book, uh, The Turning Point, mm-hmm. um, where he brings together a whole set of ideas, but but has a very strong passion for Bateson, kind of at the heart of that. And so fr- from reading that book, that led me to to read, to sort of devour stuff about, about Bateson, um, and about his ideas and about his life um and you know kind of one thing leads to another and and right um i found myself reading and reading through through all of these different people and just the sort of the freshness of of their ideas and the freshness of of the kind of the way in which they were expressing them hmm. um when I first started getting into systems thinking and and you know started devouring, not to the extent that that you have, but uh, when I started devouring the the content and all of these ideas, I I had a few different reactions, and and one was overwhelm because there is so much to unpack and so many different connections, and you start going down. Um, one path and and you find out the influences on that particular person uh-huh. are are so uh, many and and so then you, you you need to you're compelled to go to go deeper and it sounds like you you had that experience but you've gone a lot further than I have in that you have um, really uh, stepped back and and in this book you've you've provided this really great map for how to look at all of these lineages and 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 why they came to be and and the characters who were involved in in their um in their creation 
So I'd love you to talk about that a little bit. I, I feel like at some point in all of this reading you were doing, you kind of went, okay, I can draw a line over from this person to this person. And you provide a, a great visual of the groupings of the of, of like where these 30 systems thinkers kind of fit um, on the map. So can, can you just talk a little bit about that experience and then how you ultimately have categorized uh, these these amazing people um, and how you, in a very useful way to the reader of, of your book. So we talked uh, quite a bit when we were working on this about lineages um, or kind of family trees. Um, I think there, there's, a, there's a thing called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a rock and roll fan, but so I've never actually seen this, but, but a colleague <laughs> talked about it once and, and the way in which kind of somebody who was played in one band and you can draw the, the line that they played with somebody who was in a previous band and so on backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had the sense when we were working on this, that there were a bunch of kind of key nodes that you could see kind of feeding into the work of a whole set of subsequent people. So um, we were, so there's a sort of both a a top-down and a bottom-up aspect to this, I think, you would say, in the way in which we were constructing these connections between people. Um, In our work at the Open University in in the systems department, which when I started work there in 2000, um, it was about 30 years old as a department. And they had a particular tradition there that was strongly influenced by Czechland, by soft systems methodology. Um, And so so we sort of saw initially from that perspective and looking at what led Czechland to do the work that he did and what fed into that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were sort of, I guess... um, Checkland is about halfway through the book, and there is a sense in which that that work is quite central, actually, to uh, to the way in which we've constructed the connections between people. Right. Um, but also, there, there's these two kind of big traditions. So, so that's a kind of bottom-up approach. Um, yeah. And to some extent, we did that with one or two other schools of thought. Um, but there's also a top-down way of handling it, which we, we knew very well when a lot of people say systems thinking they're thinking of um of general systems theory and the tradition which arguably begins with ludwig von bertalanffy um and i say arguably because i know that others some people say that it should begin earlier um but but you know that there, there's a discernible tradition that started in the 1930s-ish with Bertalanffy's writing on, on organismic biology and then right. directly led into the creation of the, the Society for General Systems Research in 1954. Um, that's now the International Society for, for System Sciences. Um, so you've got that tradition around general systems and then you've got another tradition which is uh, more or less coming from a different place around cybernetics and starting with the work of Norbert Wiener and then the Macy conferences in the mid-40s, mid to late 40s, um, 
and that and creating a whole set of its own traditions and you know then subsequently there's some coalescence between those two but but we sort of we saw those as, as key starting points uh general systems theory and cybernetics um and and then outside of that <coughs> excuse me outside of the uh the general systems theory and cybernetics kind of nodes there's a slightly separate tradition around system dynamics um which we wanted to reflect and respect but and you know it kind of resembles some of the others and and it's laterally drawn on some of the other work quite strongly but but it's coming from a different place it's coming Mm -hmm. from a different starting point um so that was another tradition um so you've kind of got three of those uh you've also got um the work as i say around soft systems that that Peter Checkland to some extent began along or drawing on and relating to the work of Ross Acoff and uh, West Churchman. Um, and also you have, and then that, that leads into, into an approach on critical systems thinking. Um, so we kind of group those together, soft and critical systems. Um, and separate from, from all of those is work on complexity theory which is kind of related to cybernetics in particular in, in various ways that you can see that in terms of the lineages, um, but kind of isn't as well. Um, so that forms a little set of groupings by itself. Um, and so that was, those were five of our groupings in the book. And then we have two more groupings. One is around um, a second kind of wave, the, the second wave of cyberneticians um, mm-hmm. from from about the 1960s onwards, which um, in a rather unadventurous way, we, we just talk about early cybernetics and late cybernetics. It's perhaps the least analytic kind of way of describing that, you know, just purely. Well, I do want to, I, I, I do want to get into that a little bit with you in a bit. So fin- finish this okay, part well, of how you're, laying this out and then i i would love to poke on that a little bit more we'll do that later then um and and then the last category is around um learning systems as we call it uh which is um people who are who are kind of essentially learning theorists or people who are concerned with with organizational learning um but who kind of didn't fit into the other traditions um, and then they kind of could have as well. Um, we, we, the other day I was, I was re-looking at a set of um, different versions of these, these groupings. So we have seven groupings that, as we ended up with them in the book, but at various points we had, um, we had kind of put some, some of, we had six groupings at one point and we had put all of the people who are now in the learning systems grouping mm-hmm. in, in different places. Um, and then we realized that there was a kind of commonality to those people, and we wanted to, to respect that as, as its own thread of thinking. Right. Um, you made I mean, a comment the, in the early part of the book uh, just about some of the decisions that you've had to make, and as you, as you, as you contemplated the, the second edition, uh, I know you grappled with, you know, hey, you know, should we include more? 
Um, you were asked, why didn't you include some of these other other thinkers? And, you know, you provide some practical reasons for, for, for why, uh, you know, you kind of maintained the, the, the current grouping groupings and, and, and the thinkers that you cover. But I'd love you to just talk a little bit about that more, you know, just, you know, if you were to write a third edition, would, would, would there be a, another grouping for these, these other emerging thinkers or, you know, the, the thinkers who've emerged over the last 25, 30 years that you really don't know what to do with right now? I mean, what, what is, what is changing? And I, I guess, um, what have you observed? You know, you, you're looking, uh, back at a very rich history. And I'm just kind of wondering where, where it would be going in your opinion. Yeah. You said you weren't going to ask questions that were really difficult. And give you some time to think about it. No, it's, um, it's, it's such an interesting question is what I really mean, of course, um, that because it's where, where things are going and how we would do it differently now. Um, I find it really difficult to say. Um, mm -hmm. I can say that there are people who I deeply regret not including, uh, who who might have been included in in the book. Um, of which the two particular names that I keep coming back to one is Joanna Macy, mm -hmm. um, and the other would be Gordon Pask. Mm -hmm. Um from quite different kinds of traditions. Um, sure. In terms of who we would include now and how, how I see things going, um, that's really difficult to answer. Um, sure. I think a, para, a sort of side answer to that question is that I actually don't think you can answer it in the moment. But one of the things that I, mm. that I realized in, in coming to as we were selecting these authors, is that it's really there's a real sense of historical contingency about who gets considered to be a really kind of significant person in, in subsequent times and, and who doesn't, yeah. you know. I mean this this must That's always be the case point. with yeah, you know, it's it's and and I I think, I mean I, I look at um people now who I find really interesting. Um, and I think, what's the difference between these people uh, and the people who are in the book? And, and so much, so, some of that is, is probably just the way in which other people use their work and kind of draw upon it and develop it. And it gets used and used and used. And so it becomes prominent and it becomes familiar. Um, some of it is to do with... Um, the passage of time um and so and that again that's a familiarity thing i guess um but but some of it is just is just blind luck you know yeah yeah i i really appreciate the point you're making though that you know it's going to take you know hindsight to be able to kind of appreciate uh this the the, the work and its impact and the connections that have occurred in order for us to say, look, this other area of systems thinking has emerged and, and we're going to need that um, uh, to be have that vantage to be able to look back. at. I, I, I get that. So I won't, I won't ask you too many more future oriented uh, questions, ask you to predict maybe a couple, but I will say. So um, 
you did say that uh, you talked a little bit about what inspired your work and 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 guided your work at the beginning of your career, um, particularly at uh, at Open University. Um, but I want to put you on the spot and ask: Do you have a favorite? Just in 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 your time, um, you know, studying these uh, these amazing thinkers and uh, just kind of getting into their work. Um, have you been particularly inspired by by someone, um, and do you see their work as as just really important and uh, really influential? Uh, and 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 maybe and maybe the other part of that question I'd like to ask is maybe is there is there anyone who has been what you would maybe consider underappreciated or not as well known as they as they should be? So kind of a two part question. Um, so, in some sense, the the answer to the question is all of the thirty people in the book, because quite genuinely, I I, I do I did find myself um, just loving them all, you know, mm-hmm. um, and spending this time with each of them felt like such a privilege. Um, but that's not a good enough question answer. Um, and I mean, I've said already that my I have this kind of very long-lasting passion for for Gregory Bateson's work. Um, I I found in recent times as much inspiration actually from uh, Mary Catherine Bateson, his daughter's uh, writings. She died earlier this year, um, mm-hmm. and uh, last year and the previous year, I was I was doing some writing for a new module at at the university. And um, I was drawing quite a lot on Mary Catherine's writing. And there's just such a kind of beauty to the way that she wrote, such an elegance and, and breadth as well. And, and that, mm-hmm. I think her work, you know, she's kind of well-known, but she's not as well-known as she deserves to be. Um, and another person who I have had a similar kind of experience with this, which is in a paradoxical kind of way is the work of Donald Schoen. Um, I mean, Schoen is, is super famous for his, his work on the reflective practitioner um, and on, and his work on organizational learning. Uh, but I found reading some of his other writings that um, particularly his um he wrote a book called Beyond the Stable State in 1971, um, based on a set of lectures for the British Broadcasting Corporation in 1970, um, which was the year that I was born. Uh, and But, you know, you can read these lectures and read the book, and it feels like it's written today. He's talking about um, society being an un- in an unstable condition, um, about the need for, for learning, the need for society to be in continual transformation to has this phrase learning society um and it's so kind of timely that um and so shun i feel is somebody who is i mean even actually the reflective practitioner itself um it's it's kind of cited more than it's read you know um he's he's somebody who's whose ideas are so good and so interesting um, that they they deserve to be kind of read and engaged with at, at a much 
longer and deeper level than, than they often get. Hmm. So there's two answers for you. Yeah. I, could, no, I, could, I could give you a passionate statement about most of the other people in this book, to be honest. Well, you know, it, it, it comes through in in the book. Uh, and I should just uh, mention to listeners that, you know, every every chapter um, provides a, a great um, um, biography, really, on 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 the thinker and 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 their work and uh, the impact it's had. And but you also provide interesting insight into kind of what was going on in the world at that time, what was going on for that individual and, um, and what really influenced his or her work. So I, I think that I really appreciate that and listeners will really appreciate that insight. Um, but the other part of the chapter is, is, is some of the work that you include. You include a snippet of the writings of, of the uh, various systems thinkers. Um, something that you've chosen and, and, and curated for the book. So it's, it's very helpful to have that. And, you know, each chapter is very consumable because it's short and, uh, you know, you can be flipping through the book and finding a very particular person and just and, and read that chapter. So it's, 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 it's wonderful and easy to, to consume from that perspective. So I, you've put it together really nicely. Mm, let's go back you. to, um, let's go back to Bateson though. You know, you start the book with the, early cyberneticians and, and Gregory Bateson in particular. And um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan as well. I had the opportunity to interview his daughter, Nora Bateson, um, on, this, on this podcast a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's continuing his work to a, a, a very um, significant degree at the Bateson Institute, which she runs. Um, and she's written her own book as well, which we talked about on the, on the podcast. It was a great yeah. conversation, um, and uh, you know, so she, you know, she she brings so much of that that just sensibility and um, and caring that you know he brought to the the work. Um, and you do say that uh, you, you know you you feel like his work is starting to be understood and appreciate appreciated, but it's still a work in progress. Um, and then you say. Perhaps it is only now, as ecological disaster becomes more and more pressing, that Bateson's originality and importance can begin to be fully appreciated. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And um, you know, one of the, the things I struggle with quite often with, with systems thinking is is how we bring it in. How do, how we bring it into the mainstream? How we um, I've used the term sometimes with, 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 in conversations, how do we smuggle it in? Um, and, and, you know, because it is so, um, needed and, um, and under, uh, understood, not it's misunderstood in, in my, in my opinion, in a lot of kind of mainstream or, you know, corporate, uh, uh, circles. Um, so I, I'd love you to just kind of talk about what you what you mean by that. Uh, let's just focus on on, on Bateson for a couple of minutes. So I, I think particularly the um, what I was thinking of in that context, there was a 1968 conference um, called the Conference on Conscious Purpose in Human Adaptation. I think mm-hmm. um, held in a kind of grand castle in Austria, probably, maybe Germany. Um, And Bateson brought together this bunch of people from 
kind of broadly cybernetics-y areas um, to talk about the way that our understanding of the, the way in which we viewed the world, the way in which we had a conception of mind, had a conception of, uh, well, of ecology, as we say now, but, but you know, of, of the relationship between human beings and nature, um, that that was putting at risk the, the whole nature of society, the whole, the whole future of our world. And he kind of lays this out, and, and there's an, an incredible book that uh, Mary Catherine Bateson edited, um, which is a kind of, well, theoretically, it's conference proceedings, but it, it reads almost more like a, a novel or something, because it's, it's mm. kind of a complete narrative of, of all of the things that these people are saying at, at the conference, and, and some of it's very moving in places. Um, and this, yeah, there's this kind of prescience about it. Uh, and, you know, you have to think this, this what if kind of thought that that conference was more than 50 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. If anyone had actually been listening to it. Um, and even now, the idea that the climate emergency might lead us to behave a little bit differently. Many people will accept that um but it's still only at the level of kind of you know changing your light bulbs and possibly buying a um hybrid car or something um mm-hmm. but, but you know the the idea that we we need a fundamental mental shift in the way in which we conceive of humanity and and its relationship to the planet um is it's a very long way away from the way that, that people are thinking in general. Uh, and I think that was just so kind of present in, in the way that that Bateson was writing and in, in putting together that conference, um, but in a, in a bunch of his other, his other writings as well. The, um, he has this extraordinary set of um, images about... Um, the relationship between the uh, what counts as a, as a human consciousness or a human mind, and he talks about uh, a blind person with their stick, and the fact that mm. the stick effectively is part is not only obviously part of their body, but but is is essentially part of their consciousness as well. Um, that their right. mind is expanded to that extent. Um, When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And this sort of, uh, he talks about the, the the pattern that connects. As, you know, Bateson is very quotable in terms of pithy little phrases, part, partly yeah, because yeah. The, the whole is quite difficult to approach, but the phrases are really good. Um, and so he talks about what is the pattern that connects me to you, 
and you to the starfish and to the galaxy and um, I forget all of his other examples. In Nora Bateson has this lovely film about her father's life, and she she mm-hmm. she, she reads that out at the beginning of the film. Um, this this quote about the the patterns and uh, yeah, and and this sort of sense that, that that he's kind of constantly getting a sense of pattern. I, um, a story about that actually. I was in Cambridge last week. Um, Cambridge, England, where um, Gregory Bateson was born and grew up, and his father was um, professor of um, professor within the zoology department. Um, he he coined, William Bateson. He coined the term genetics, um, and we were in the the Museum of Zoology in in, um, in Cambridge where. I didn't see any of William Bateson's artifacts. We saw some of Charles Darwin's artifacts there, which is rather amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But, but you know, the um, the sense of uh, this sort of sense of pattern um, that you see in throughout Bateson's work, um, it it kind of Bateson did some of his his early graduate work in in zoology within that same department, and the kind of sense that he's constantly making connections and you know i think this this is something that that is so precious to me about so many people within the systems traditions of of seeking connections seeking kind of unlikely connections between things mm-hmm. and then having this incredibly broad set of perspectives upon the world um the the number of people in our um in our book who were poets is is really striking um who, who, as well as having done lots of academic work, were were producing volumes of poetry as well, or art, or um, having a really sort of deep um, religious life. You know, there's there's a sort of sense that that these are you can't somehow not go. Oh, sorry, double negative. Um, by going deeply into uh, these systems ideas that it somehow creates a roundedness in a person and and the people who who really express it best somehow they're, they're, there's that kind of roundedness in them as, as human beings as well which yeah. you see in Gregory Bateson but but you see in so many of, of the other people I think yeah that r- really came through for me in in your book um I really appreciated uh what you provide to help me get to know some of these people and uh what was sort of behind the the, the drive um you you talk about west churchman uh being driven by his moral outrage mm-hmm. and uh and and you know as you mentioned uh you know there were there were there were several who you know were were deeply religious and there were and there were there were many with with ideas uh, you know i'd never heard of the name odom before and mm-hmm. and you talked about the, the Odom brothers and and they weren't without controversy um, in, in in their approaches. So I'd love you to like talk a little bit more about what you what you discovered and and what you know some of these personalities and they were such um, you know they were such catalysts for for this this work. But as you say, so much of it came from who they were and what they just you know what was deeply you know driving them. Um, 
board. I want to sort of give a story, and I'm trying to think of a of something that that kind of works. Yeah, I just really appreciate the the inside scoop that you that you bring. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love love to hear what you know what fascinated you, or if there, um, you know, there was something in particular that, that just was you know really stuck with you. While you're thinking about that, let me come back to I I, I loved when you said Bateson and his you know pithy phrases, <laughs> and um, those are powerful. Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and there are others as well, um, you know, not just from Bateson, but the whole idea of powerful words and phrases like messes and wicked problems. Um, you know, speaking of, of, of churchmen, I believe yeah. he coined the, the term wicked, wicked problems and, and the power of those. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, it's some of those very accessible, you know, punchy, uh, <laughs> If I can use the, the you know like taglines that that maybe will will would have the potential to make systems thinking kind of really land with with mm-hmm. people that need to <clears throat> embrace it. But th- there's also this sense in which they those are phrases that come from a particular time and a particular era. Um, so you're mentioning about uh, churchmen and the term wicked problems. Um, I mean that term is more associated with people who. The people who actually developed the idea, Horst and Rittel, I think, um, they, they're kind of, um, you know, they're the ones that, that get the name for it. And I think Churchman gave it, you know, he, co- he coined the term, but not the idea so much. But he, he did it at a time when um, Ross Akoff was, uh, coined the term mess for a situation that's kind of intractable. Um, mm-hmm. And which is where the boundaries are very kind of fuzzy, and almost at the same time, Donald Schoen was was used talking about uh, a swamp, the swamp, the swampy lowlands in which practice occurs. Um, and you know, this is all kind of the early seventies, roughly, that that was being done um, at at a time where because um, uh, these are all three people working in the U.S. Um, so, so at a time when American society was really in a bit of a crisis point, and and they didn't, there was a strong sense of lack of direction, and and kind of everything was really, really complicated, um, and then a sense of where is where are things going, where can things go, um, and so so that sense of of multiple different ways of approaching this this idea of of uh, flux of it's instability of constant change of lack of stable boundaries these kind of things i think that's something that um in a sense these these are metaphors and they're they're attempts to to kind of get through to to a deeper a deeper reality um but but they i guess the fact that there are, there are several parallel ideas at the same time is often really important. A, a similar version of that, um, I think we quote um, Margaret Mead saying that in the 1940s, um, there wasn't a single person who didn't have um, a folder uh, that said, I've forgotten her phrase, but so that, that talked about feedback loops effectively. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, 
uh, that didn't have a folder that was understanding the the kind of um, the looping interconnected nature of causality, um, and that in the kind of early to mid forties, that that was such a central concept in in a whole set of disciplines, um, and that that then directly fed into the work that was initially called um, circular causality and and subsequently termed cybernetics you know and and so i think the these kind of parallel streams of ideas that we that we see at various times are really important and and like you say the if if we can find ways for today that can do the same thing that that mm-hmm. can kind of express um express really kind of crucial central ideas that then i think that's really important and yeah could be yeah. a good contribution i i i really agree with that and um i, I you know it's it's personally an area where that I'd, I'd like to explore more so um you know maybe we can have another conversation about that i do want to say that um i've mentioned that you've organized the book by the groupings and you have the various um, thinkers kind of organized by, you know, early cybernetics, uh, soft systems, and so on. Um, and it's not, it's not chronological. However, as I was reading it, I do feel like I was experiencing, oh, okay, there's a little bit of a shift starting to occur here and kind of a building upon. And I, I guess the first time I, I experienced that was in the systems dynamics section. At where it feels like, okay, like we're actually going to start to put this to work. And you have in that section, um, Danella Meadows, Dana Meadows, um, someone else who, uh, you know, tragically uh, passed away uh, some time ago, but at such mm-hmm. a young age, you know, before her work was done. And, um, you know, her, her work around, you know, um, the, the points of leverage in the system and that kind of thing is just so so powerful and so usable. I, I've I've seen applications of it um, in, in so many creative um, ways. And uh, so, can can you spend a couple of moments on 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 her and um, and, and why you included her in the book? Um, in a sense, we couldn't not include her in the book, right? Um, I mean, uh, not least actually. So. so the, the single reason why she has to be in the book is because um, of the work that she did on limits to growth, um, the sometimes referred to as the Club of Rome report, although it isn't, it isn't, it isn't. Um, but the work that was done in the, the early 1970s on um, modelling global change through system dynamics um, an entire model of, of the world of population, uh, natural resources, economies, um, and basically coming t- to the conclusion that um, we had a limited amount of time as a planet um, before we would run out of, of all the resources that we had. Um, and this was done through through computer modeling and um and but it was Donella Meadows book Limits to Growth that, that became really widely read um as as a kind of a bringing out of those ideas um and of of the various books of the early environmental movement um 
you know, there were others before it that, that were also influential, but this is mm -hmm. one that, that had a real kind of um, scientific and, and quantitative basis to it that, that I think really opened a lot of people's eyes in, in the early 70s. Um, so, so that in itself made, made um, Meadows' contribution uh, really important, but but she was just such an interesting person, and I mean, she she went on to to write a simply extraordinary book um, called the Electronic Oracle about the nature of modelling, um, and and why, and some of the things that um, other people within the system dynamics community have, have subsequently said, really, about models being kind of both brilliant and limited simultaneously. Um, and and also she she wrote um, a weekly column uh, for something. What was it called? The column was called the Global Citizen. I think it was syndicated in newspapers or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And really, really lovely expressions of kind of environmental issues um, in the eighties and nineties. Um, online, you can see kind of collections of these things, um, and her 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 writing is just gorgeous about, mm -hmm. um, you know, t taking lots of insights from system dynamics, but but really kind of drawing them out within the environmental context. Um, and I I really like as well. Um, I talked about the roundedness of some of the people um, that are in the book, and I really like the way that Meadows. Kind of lived this out, so she, um, she bought, she she moved from Cambridge, Massachusetts, to to live in a farm. Um, she sort of, you know, created a community um, so that she could survive as as a, as a person. Um, and she she was very sort of generous and giving. Um, and there's this real sense that that she's sort of constantly living out her ideas. Um, there's it's oh I had a really good word for it at some point but it's, it's the opposite of hypocrisy if you know what I mean <laughs> you know yeah. it's 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 kind of being completely congruent um, right. between your your ideas and your life and I think Meadows yeah. shows that so well and and then the um, the leverage points work that you that you mentioned um, that she was putting that together. Um, when she suddenly died um and then some years later some years after her death it, it came out in this book called thinking in systems and and mm. that's just such a lovely book such a lovely introduction to systems thinking I, I, yeah i sometimes think if if there was a single one kind of book on applied systems thinking then i would say read read Donella meadows thinking in systems it's such a nice book yeah. Well, thank you for that, because that was going to be one of my questions. It was, I, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, like, you know, we're, we, we have a lot of listeners uh, and, and, and I'm really pleased that we're drawing a lot of listeners to this podcast channel who are less familiar with systems thinking. And it's really nice to be able to say, hey, here's where to start. And here are some of these interesting stories um, around um, how systems thinking came to be and and how it came to um, become part of practice in in a lot of different areas, and how it's relevant to um, your world. And and I'm that's my personal mission is to 
to try to facilitate that. And so I would agree with you. I, I, I think that that Meadows is, is an absolutely beautiful place to start. And I think, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about her is this, this sensibility she, she brings um, just around just, you know, the individual and uh, our, um, our role um, in the world. Um, her uh, visioning exercises are powerful and 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 beautiful, and uh, it 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 may be a surprise to people who who think of systems thinking in a particular way to discover uh, Danella Meadows. So I, I appreciate mm-hmm. your, your what you brought to the conversation about her. Um, I also would love to talk a little bit about um, this. What I sort of see as another major, and you've already touched on this a little bit. But um, around second order cybernetics and, and when that really started to, we started to see that uh, kind of take hold with uh, Von Forster and, of course, Stafford Beer. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, in an upcoming um, uh, podcast, um, I will be sharing my interview with his daughter, Vanilla Beer. And, and it is. Oh, fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little more focused on 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 Stafford the person and uh and really his experiences um mm. so i'm i'm excited to share that one but talk a little bit about this this next sort of wave um and what second order cybernetics really did what it accomplished what it's still accomplishing mm-hmm. um so i i i have a reaction to the term second order cybernetics sometimes because um I have a sufficiently mathematical enough background that I, I mm-hmm. want to hear that as um, as a, a set of interlocking brackets, you know? It's the, cyber, uh-huh. it's the, it's the cybernetics of cybernetics. So yeah. you, you're applying cybernetics to itself. And it's second order in that sense. Um, and um, I think Heinz von Furster said that... Um, First order cybernetics is the cybernetics of observed systems, and um, second order cybernetics is the cybernetics of uh, of observing systems. So, insofar as cybernetics is all about feedback, um, you're kind of applying that feedback back to the system that's doing the observing. So, the observer is then drawn into the system. Um, I. I react slightly against the way in which I, I occasionally read um, people write about second cybernetics, or 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 write as though it's kind of superseded the the original sorts of cybernetics. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's part partly because I I'm so passionate about some of the early cyberneticians, um, but um, I think it's it's different from just saying so. So we were careful in our book to distinguish between early cybernetics and later cybernetics. And to some extent, the people who are in the later cybernetics category are also those who are working within second-order cybernetics. And to some extent, they're not, you know. Um, but but this idea of, of turning cybernetics on itself um, becomes really powerful and and has, has led to um, lots of kind of but it's led to lots of stuff that's very philosophical um, and interesting from that point of view. Um, so Warren McCullough, who was the leader of the Macy conferences, he has this phrase, experimental epistemology. Um, and von Furster um, 
had been close to McCulloch. And he, and I, I think what he's doing, what, what von Furster was doing, was kind of taking forward that idea of an experimental epistemology, of understanding the nature of knowledge and of the world by, um, by constantly looking at ourselves. Um, there's a risk that that becomes a bit, um, well, so it, it does become circular, literally, um, because it's all about circularity, but there's the risk it becomes a bit too inward looking. Um, and so actually the, the, the people in second order cybernetics that excite me most, I think, are the ones who have tried to apply that directly to practical problems. Um, so especially, actually, actually my, my favourite of, of all the people in the book of that sort is um, Paul Václavik, who was a um, psychologist, a psychotherapist. Um, and he he kind of acts in the book partly in his own right and partly as, as, an, as an exemplar of other people working within family systems therapy who have taken the ideas of second order cybernetics and as a really, really rich tool to, to understand the way that um, group dynamics, particularly within families, but also within any kind of group situation, kind of, um, you know, gets so very convoluted. Um, Václavik has, Václavik was from Austria, and he, he has a book that um, I've loved for years called The Situation is Hopeless but Not Serious, mm. which is a, a kind of quote from the, mm. one of the, the mottos of the Austrian army, apparently. Mm. Um, and, and he kind of lays out the, the, the way in which people's minds get so sort of worked up in that, in kind of knots about, not knots is not his term, that's the term of um, R.D. Lang, who doesn't appear in our book, but, but is again another of these people, psychotherapists who have been deeply influenced by this kind of second order conception of, of the human mind. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really appreciate um, Stafford Beer would be would be an example of somebody else who's who's applying um, well, he's applying a bunch of approaches of cybernetics, but including second order cybernetics to um, to really practical problems. In his case, around um, the, this organization of the, the way in which you construct organizations, the way in which you construct economies and societies, um, and he does that with such sort of uh, richness and depth. Yeah. Um, and so I think. Um, There's a sort of, yeah, there, there, there's a real kind of, it's quite difficult, second order cybernetics. I, I, I confess that there are points where I, I've hung around with people who are doing it in, in the modern times and, and I listen to them and I think, this is really hard. I really mm, can't, yeah. you know, you, you have to sort of um, get, your, get yourself completely into their way of thinking for it to... Um, for it to work at all. I find that especially another person who's sadly just um, passed from the world, Umberto Maturana. Um, I, I find his writing, it's it's so compelling and so groundbreaking, but it's also really difficult, you know, and you can only get Maturana by 
by kind of getting yourself right inside his way of thinking and just living it, I think, is the only way to, to for it to make any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. We do have to start to wrap up the conversation, but there are a couple of things I'd still love to discuss with you, um, maybe really quickly. Um, and you've touched on this a little bit all, already, um, but, um, you know, kind of given what we're experiencing today from the climate crisis, we've touched on that, social justice issues, the pandemic, which we're still in the midst of, um, you know, of the thinkers and, and the work that they represent, where do you see the most potential and, and relevance for the big messes or wicked problems, whatever expression we, we want to use to, to describe what we're experiencing? Where do you see the, the most promise? From the um, contributions of these of these of these thinkers. Uh, so some of them we've talked about already. I've, I've already said that I think there's there's a lot of um, strength to be had from the work of Gregory Bateson around the climate crisis. Um, uh, likewise, around Donald Schoen and instability in in society. Um, I think Lester Churchman is somebody else that I would name. Um, because he he has a, a great historical interest of, of being the first one of the first people to kind of bring ideas of ethics in particular into what was the, the corner of systems that he was working mm-hmm. with was was really quite dry and mechanistic and he brings a sort of sense of of humanity and you, you used the phrase moral outrage earlier and I, I think churchman could do with being read some more um just because of his because of his sense of compassion because of his sense of um society needing to be changed um in a completely different line um i actually think norbert wiener has things that aren't proper aren't well enough read um wiener in his later writings particularly that there's a real sense of kind of um, of wrestling with the fact that he had um, he he has a little book about the golem, um, and and it's I think we might read it now as as a metaphor for something like artificial intelligence or or surveillance mm. capitalism, and, mm. and and he he was sort of so aware that he had been responsible partly for. Um, creating um, technological systems or or putting in place a, an intellectual environment that created a, a whole set of um, ways that computer systems became prominent in society. Um, and he was just so aware of the kind of the potential for harm in those. Um, and so I think with concerns around um, surveillance and the potential harms from artificial intelligence rereading Wiener is is really worthwhile right that's great great advice um we're going to wrap up now um this has been a fantastic conversation and uh just in in as a as my little uh reaction and contribution to, to this your response to the last question um i don't know very much about werner ulrich 
Um, but there's a quote that you provided um, in the book, uh, and it, which has made me want to go read him, um, which is uh, systems thinking as if people mattered. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And so that's inspired me to go uh, check him out a little bit more. So uh, that's that's one I'll, I'll, I'll take away. So I, I really appreciate that. So Magnus, this has been fantastic. I, I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk with me. Um, the book, you know, I have to admit when I cracked it open, I kind of went, wow, this is this is a lot. <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, it, it took us a little bit of time to get this this interview set up, but it actually gave me more time to really immerse myself in, in, in the book. And so I, I really appreciate it. And I've developed uh, an appreciation um, for these thinkers, a deeper appreciation for, for many of these thinkers that I didn't have before. Um, and so that's that's really excellent. So I want to thank you so much um, mm. for thank you. the book thank and you for very time much, today. Kevin. Thanks very much for your time. It's, I mean, the, the thing I would say in closing is in relation to what you've just said, that uh, the book took a long time to write. And it, it was part of um, my co-author, Karen, and I had this uh, a conversation it felt that lasted for about 10 years about these different people and what their importance was and trying to tease it out. And, and that, that would be my, my greatest encouragement to anyone who has this book or is interested in these people to talk with other yeah. people about them, you know, and to try and make them part of the conversations and the dialogue that you have mm-hmm. with other people. Because there's mm-hmm. such interesting ideas and such interesting people that they need yeah. to be brought to life, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. Well, thank you very much again. Thank you. So you've been listening to my conversation with Magnus Ramage, author of Systems Thinkers, second edition. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Systems and Cybernetics. Until next time, goodbye.